This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Welcome to the first ever episode 31 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented folks from the Southern California hospitality industry and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you to Allie Coyle for providing music for the show. You can find her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com or any of her family's three restaurants here if you are in Orange County. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, Please be sure, leave a rating, review. It can even be a negative one, but it helps other people find it. Ideally, it won't be a negative one, though. Wherever you're listening to it, Spotify, iTunes, with some more platforms to come, including recently announced Amazon, working on that one. So for all of you Prime people, that should be coming pretty soon. And if you like content like this, head to thebestseats.com for more just like it. Episode 31, I'm very happy to say, was another in-person interview. Um, This is with sales director of Surf City Stillworks, Ben Carpenter. Uh, ben was nice enough to open his home to me. We recorded this uh, socially distant at his home bar, um, set it up, kind of took over a, a table for his and spread the microphones out whole nine yards. And it was really, really fun. Ben is somebody who I met um, officially. I'm, I've known him kind of social media. Like we always kind of say that most of us know people were, you know, social media stalking and the whole nine yards. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to meet him in person when Surf City came on as a uh, donating some of their ready, their RTD kind of ready to drink cocktails at the second uh, OC Smoke Kitchen. I want to say back in May at this point. I don't even remember. Uh, with Heritage Barbecue hosted up at Brewery X, which you can find the highlights of over on YouTube.com uh, for the Best Seats channel. You can find it also on the bestseats.com. But those highlights are up if you want to check those out. But I met Ben. Surf City was there. They were giving out their RTD cocktails. Um, I took a bunch of them home with me after the day. We had a, a couple of them left over. Really, really awesome. I've known about Surf City ever since they started up in Huntington Beach. I went to their original tasting room, uh, met with the owners You know, a couple months after they kind of came together. They're really, really good people making really nice products. Their spirits are fun. They're really interesting. I think they taste really freaking good. And sitting down with Ben is really interesting because I've talked with reps before, but actually talking with a sales director when you're not just managing a couple of accounts, but you're talking about an entire portfolio how you spread it, the people you spread it to, what it's like during a pandemic, and also just kind of how he got his start, what his history is, and what the future of Surf City kind of looks like. So I really hope you enjoy this interview. Again, thank you so much to Ben for opening his home. This is a really fun one. Um, And yeah, I won't waste any more of your time. Let's get right to it. Episode 31 of the Best Seeds Podcast featuring Surf City Distillery Sales Director, Ben Carpenter. Ben, I'm super excited to sit down today. Thank you so much for opening your home to me and opening some of the whiskey collections on top of that. Um, Really, really excited to sit and chat with all that's going on about you, Surf City, everything that's kind of going on these days. But before we jump any further, for the people that aren't familiar with you, would you mind introducing yourself and giving some of your background? Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me and uh, coming through. My name um, is Ben Carpenter. I'm currently the director of sales with Surf City Stillworks in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, prior to this, I was with uh, Remy Quancho and Young's Market as a brand development manager. Prior to that, I was the uh, director of beverage at Balboa Bay Resort and Club in Newport Beach. And uh, before that, I was you know doing a lot of consulting, opening up places. I was in uh, LA for 11 years um, at the same program there, family-owned spot in Pasadena. And I've just been kind of bouncing around. I founded... Uh, Olive Heights Trading Company back in 2013, a, a bitters outfit, started out of an attic apartment in Pasadena, and uh, Barkeeper in Silver Lake was my first account. I brought the bitters by to see if there's anything we can get going, and they were um, so. G- Joe and Wesley were so generous on and giving me some advice on. Um, they're like, you know, this uh, we would love to carry this, but this bottle looks like another brand that we have. If you can change that, you know, you have something. I did, brought it back, 
they brought the uh, bidders on and everything kind of just went from there. Ended up in uh, 26 states in 60 bars and restaurants, five major retailers, all out of, you know, all out of a little kind of attic situation that produced a little bit out of a commissary as well. Uh, but it was really starting that bidders company that kind of uh, opened a lot of doors for me when I moved down here to Orange County in early 2015. Um, you know, doors, it was awesome because I went to interview at different bars and um, they would have my bidders on the back bar. So it was like kind of a nice uh, warm intro into, uh, you know, into the area. And uh, ever since then, I've just been really enjoying being down here. There's a lot of talent and a lot of great places always opening up and a lot of money flowing in and out of uh, food and beverage. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's been a boom market and it's a great time to be here. Before we keep jumping into Surf City and everything that's been going on kind of during the initial shutdown and now post shutdown, um, what happened to the bidders company? So, you know, it reached the point I had, um, I had two partners in the company. Uh, one of them had a bar background and he was uh, from Kansas City originally. Uh, his name is Scott Winnie, great guy. He uh, really opened up a lot of doors uh, for us in Kansas City. We had the pleasure of uh, creating some uh, custom uh, bidders for programs like Julep in Kansas City. Um, you know, worked with like, um, you know, guys like uh, uh, Ryan Maybe and some bigger figures out like that. And uh, it opened up a new market for us in the Midwest. Then we ended up in uh, J. Alexander's, which is a huge uh, Midwestern kind of a chain, um, you know, as well. But it was funny because I was the only one who had the know-how to... Um, you know, to be able to create the bidders essentially. So it was kind of left to me to do that. And then I also bottled by hand. I labeled by hand, uh, got up to about like 25 cases a month. And that was all my time. Uh, my wife and I had just had our first daughter and it became a thing where it's like, and I was still running a bar program. So it became a thing where you had to make some, you know, tough decisions at yeah. that point. And, uh, my, a bar career was beginning to take off. So it was kind of a choice of like, you know, I need to scale this back a bit and, um, you know, ended up, uh, kind of unloading the company a bit and scaling back and, um, you know, knowing that at some point I would, I would come back to it and when the right opportunity kind of came along and, um, you know, luckily, um, you know, when I got together with surf city, that was one of the, one of the things that when I came aboard as director of sales, they said, you know, we would love to, you know, bring your bidders aboard too, and kind of expand our lineup. And uh, so really, really exciting, you know, to kind of integrate that into the deal as well. I know you spent a long time at Balboa, uh, Balboa Bay Resort. What was that experience like for you? And how did that help you get to where you are now with Surf City? It was so pivotal for me. Um, I was at the time I was at Casa in Costa Mesa. Um, you know, that was a program that, um, started off at a really fast start, had a, you know, a good amount of critical acclaim. The amount of talent that came out of that place was astounding for such a little hole in the wall. Um, you know, uh, people like, uh, Kayla Mata and, um, you know, Joey Orline and mm -hmm. people that work for big brands like Remy now, funny enough, I ended up with Remy too. Like three, three people with Remy ended up coming from one tiny bar it was amazing. Um, but yeah, the concentration of talent out of there was incredible. And, uh, it was a great foray for me into the Costa Mesa and Orange County bar scene. Um, you know, things were a little crazy. There was, they're transitioning at the time. We were opening up another concept down the street, which at the time was called Maison. Uh, present day, same owners. It's called Strut now. Mm -hmm. Um, had a fun time opening that bar with like guys like Ryan Weiner and, uh, Elliot Montero, who's now with, um, you know, Mauro Montenegro. It was a great, it was a great start. Things were a little nuts and, um, you know, they didn't do what they were supposed to do with the opening and getting the right permits and all that. We didn't know about any of that. That got held up. I ended up kind of just at Casa and, um, you know, towards the end of the year, it was like, you know, I was kind of looking around a little bit to like, all right, what's, you know, what's next? Uh, you know, cause it was a little guy and, you know, I had kind of big aspirations at the time. Yeah started kind of putting my name out there and uh, got some calls from recruiters at uh, Pacific Hospitality. At the time, uh, Balboa Bay was, um, you know, one of the flagship properties um, for Pacific Hospitality. And they came in so aggressively. Funny enough, I was, you know, we, um, at the time, my wife was second, was, um, was pregnant with our second daughter and she was going to be here 
very soon. So, it, you know, it's kind of like, all right, we need to make a move now to a, maybe a bigger umbrella, something yeah. a little more steady. And, um, you know, so I was about to sign on with uh, Snooze. You know, in fact, uh, they were just building out here in Tustin. It was before the Tustin spot opened. Mm -hmm. They pitched it to me like, you know, this is a great spot because each of our locations is kind of um, in the image of the GM. You can really put your personality out there. It's a fun place to be. You can be out of here by 3.30 every day, be home for dinner. It was very appealing. Being it's a big a, upsell to go from the bar nightlife yeah, to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, being a new father, to me, that was really appealing. And it's always been important to have, you know, to be present in my children's life. And, um, you know, so I was, I'd actually was just about to sign with them when uh, Pacific Hospitality called. They were really aggressive right off the bat. They uh, were really clear that they, that they wanted me. I uh, had a couple, uh, I had an hour, hour and a half long interview with the GM of the hotel, then an hour and a half with the director of operations, then about two hours with their uh, food, and food and beverage director for all of their properties. He was like their corporate mm -hmm. food and beverage uh, director named Nate, Nate Tanner. He was uh, really cool. I liked the way they did things. And they, about two days later, they made an offer to me and uh, I had pretty much committed to snooze already. And yeah, they came in hot with a really great offer. And I basically told them, listen, I need the, it was like a Thursday. I think I said, listen, please give me the weekend to think about this. I need to, I need to, um, you know, give this some thought. I need to talk to the family and see what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I, uh, it was funny. I, I went to my wife about it and I, it was kind of like, um, it was kind of like in Seinfeld when George has that one summer when he's doing the opposite of, of everything that his instincts telling him to. Yep. And, you know, at that time I was like, as a lot of young bartenders do, uh, getting in your way, you know, a little bit and, and kind of, uh, wanting to jump to the next spot and to the next concept and, and seeing like the appeal, the lure of that and getting press and, and, um, you know, so I, I went to my wife and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to put this in your hands. W where do you think that I should go? And she was like, listen, I'll support you wherever you want to go. Just, you know, uh, you know, I have your back. And I said, no, no, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really need an answer. No, really. Right I'm now. giving you this one. <laughs> and uh, she said, Balboa, she said, you know, it's a really known quantity in the area. She, um, you know, was born in, uh, in Newport and, and knew it well, had been to some weddings and some functions there. And, and uh, I was like, all right, Balboa it is. I, um, I had the weekend to decide. I called on Saturday night. I called the recruiter and I was like, you know what? I don't need the weekend. Let's do it. <laughs> and uh, I was in there the next, uh, you know, Monday or Tuesday, probably jumped right in. And, you know, to me at the time, I had heard some murmurs and, and, you know, I definitely heard from other bartenders in the area. It's like, what are you doing? Like you're going from like craft and all that to like some, you know, fairly whitewashed, you know, kind of resort and club type of deal. And I said, you know, at the, for me, it was about in creative people, you know, you want to have the biggest platform possible. And if you're in a little hole in the wall, yeah, it's romantic to, you know, to make obscure cocktails and, you know, do the pre, you know, prohibition the, thing. The eight seats, the chalkboard menu. <laughs> the, yeah. Tonight, exactly. is, tonight is off brand tomorrow night. Like, yeah. There's, <laughs> exactly. there's the wit and the whimsy. There's a, a time and place for that in your career. Um, it's certainly not when you are a new father of two. And, uh, so I, you know, I'd felt like I'd done, you know, what I needed to do there and uh, was ready to move on and saw the opportunity to do it on a bigger platform. Uh, you walk into their kitchen at Balboa Bay and, um, you know, they, they pull things product from all over the world in food and beverage. So that was one of the pitches to me that like, you need ingredients, you know, you need to get your hands on uh, a special togarashi in 24 hours mm -hmm. or, you know, they're looking for something special, um, you know, rhubarb or whatever it is. Uh, we'll get it. We'll have it for you within a day and you can do your thing. So, you know, for a guy like me who was uh, just nerding out so much at home with, um, you know, and like in Persian markets and carnicerias and places like that um, and just doing constant experimentation, because that's really, you know, what makes the difference between you being great and you just being another bartender is investing uh, so much time on my own. Um, I saw the opportunity there as too, too great to pass up and they uh, were really people of their word. They they gave me the reins. Um, I they didn't second guess me. They gave me freedom to make decisions. Uh, freedom. They didn't edit my menus. Um, they were just like, let us know when it's ready. We'll 
we'll bring our you know executive staff by to that's awesome to taste and it, I was never told not to do something. Um, I was always told, you know, when I first came in, I, I saw their tap situation. They had four taps at the bar. Um, they had these stainless steel refrigerators off to the side of the bar where they kept their kegs. They weren't big enough for, you know, half, you know, half barrel kegs. They were only big enough for six barrel, which prof that kills profit margin right off the bat. Um, the temperature wasn't right in any of them. They were pouring off so much foam. The waste was crazy. And I was looking into the numbers and um, started doing a lot of analysis on it. And I was like, you know, we, we need a 10 tap system. We need a walk-in, you know, cooler, all these things that I told them we needed. And they're like, you want that? You analyze, break it down, pitch it to me. I went home, I costed out what every bar seat was worth, you know, annually, you know, to the place. Um, analyze how much loss they were getting off of the beers, um, you know, things of that nature, what they were losing on six barrels as opposed to half barrels. Did a whole presentation, brought it in, you know, to the GM and, uh, you know, the GM's like, how'd you do this? You know, like, where'd, where'd you get this from? And I said, well, this is, this is what you brought me in to do is not, this is what I've done in the past with the consulting, but you need to, you know, have these, uh, you know, abilities. They read it over within a day. They're like, here's, 22 grand, you know, for a new walk-in for, uh, you know, 10 taps, uh, up there. And, uh, it was incredible. And that's when I, I knew I was absolutely made the right decision was in the yeah. right place. Cause they were, they just wanted someone who had their numbers down and had some conviction and energy and they're willing to, you know, um, willing to, you know, uh, bankroll that. And, and so it was really a match made in heaven. Uh, we opened up some barrel programs after that with, uh, Woodford, with uh, Herodura, with Hudson, uh, with uh, Knob Creek, a few others, and just had some you know great opportunities like that. Took some great trips. Um, you know, I'm I'm so proud of uh, my work there, and um, it, it was it was so pivotal and kind of counterintuitive to the direction that most bartenders and bar managers kind of think of. You think you know going to you know, a hotel or resort like that will kind of uh, confine you. It doesn't. It's completely what you make of the situation, the know-how you bring in, the energy you bring in. Um, it can, you know, let's face it, it can propel you to more. They have a great marketing department and great PR company behind them. So, I mean, it's it's a great launching pad to whatever's in the future. Hotel bars are definitely interesting in the fact that they lend themselves so well to the California coastline and the lifestyle. There's not too many of them out here that are really great. Balboa is still kind of holding its own. Um, obviously, the company that just took over Laguna Beach Hotel is bringing in unofficially at the time of this recording, uh, Ravin to uh, Bazell to run their bar program. So I think there's a comeback kind of due. Looking back on it now, now being with Surf City, before we jump into that, yeah. what's it like to look back? at that bar program, the amount of work that you put into it and kind of see where it's at now. Is there any kind of bitter sweetness? Do you ever get times where you look back honestly, at it and like, you're like, would have done it different, would have done this, like stop changing that? Like, Honestly, goosebumps right now uh, talking about it. It was such an inspired time for me personally. Um, the staff that, um, I, you know, I inherited some great staff. I brought on some incredible staff as well. We had this core of bartenders there and servers that um, are some of the best people I've ever worked with in the business. And everyone supported the beverage program. They sold the hell out of the cocktails. We get barrel picks. We go through a barrel pick. Our first uh, barrel of Woodford we went through in five months because they were salesmen. They were inspired. They loved our program. We all just got along so well. We were, you know, it's a cliche to say it's a family environment. It very, very much was. Um, everyone knew each other's, you know, husbands and wives and kids and, and whatnot. Um, anyone that had kids, so we'd, we'd have, you know, birthday parties together and whatnot. And uh, because of that strong foundation, um, it was, you know, just a great environment and creative, you know, the one thing looking back that I probably would have changed is that when I went in, I was told craft isn't going to work here. Um, that, you know, you really need you know, obviously cocktails that take a long time to prepare anything outside of like 60 seconds, you're going to lose them. Now that part was right. Uh, but them not accepting craft was completely not right at all. Um, the back bar that I inherited had, you know, no knock to them, but like pumpkin Kahlua, you know, salted caramel vodka. It looked like, um, and once again, no knock to like 
you know, the Godfather TGI Fridays, <laughs> but uh, it looked like a TGI Fridays, you know, back bar, honestly. Yeah. It's like Willy Wonka was an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. A lot of sweet, um, a lot of kitsch. Uh, so we just completely stripped that down, uh, you know, built it the way we wanted to build it out, build it out. I had, um, you know, a philosophy going in was, you know, I said menus, I'm not going to come in here as a dictator. Any bartender here that wants to make the menu, um, we'll have their opportunity to pitch cocktails for it. So when it was, we would start maybe four or five months out before we we're going to release a menu and it would be like, it's open call from here on out, you know, this day we're going to meet, have something ready to present. And, uh, you know, at first people were, you know, were timid. They, you know, were, weren't sure what they wanted to pitch. And I didn't get a lot at first. I really kind of laid it up and kind of, uh, definitely, uh, I guess I kind of took the easy way out a little bit for the first menu. I mean, I, I put out my first menu when I'd been there for a week or something like that. And this is the funny part. And anyone that knows Boat Parade in Newport Beach, uh, Boat Parade was about to start a week later. So the bartenders flipped out there like a new cocktail menu. Like, you know, actually, I'm sorry. It was a day or two before Boat Parade. And I, I thought they were all going to kill me when I released that. But I, I kept it simple. There were some craft elements to it, but it was a lot of, it was maybe two or three touches. Um, really streamlined, keep it easy on them. Uh, but I learned about Boat Parade really quickly. That was my first Boat Parade. Um, you know, you do, you know, 20 to 25 grand a night um, in those spots. And they're just four deep at the bar. Um, you know, incredible, incredible numbers. And you've got to be really fast. And um, so that was something I learned early on. I, I learned over time by releasing more menus that whatever you release, the audience will will work their way up to it and and will get up to the level and you don't want to pander to them and you don't want to just try to take it easy because and underestimate your audience uh when i started bringing in uh they didn't have they probably had two brands of tequila uh, you know bigger agave selection brought in mezcal you know brought in things like that pachugas and and um you know it, it was amazing because people took to it right away. And it wasn't what I was warned yeah. all along. So kind of going on my own path and just making your own mistakes and learning, you know, as you go. Um, but my favorite part was, um, probably our California distilled program. I came up with, um, you know, a program you get, you're talking to vendors every day, you know, you try to limit it as much as possible, but you're tasting with people and you're being introduced to new spirits. We had so many distilleries from California that would come and present, some with bigger distributors, some with smaller. And um, it got to the point where you see patterns emerging where you're like, wait a minute, they this California distillery makes Amaro. This one makes bourbon, okay. This one makes, you know, um, like uh, alcoholic Falernum. This one makes, you know, there's, oh, this one makes agave now. And, you know, so you start to see the patterns of like, wait a minute, I can completely solely make a menu out of all California distilled spirits. That was a light bulb to me. No one else was doing it in the state. And to me, I was proud of being able to highlight distilleries like this. Completely, some of the distributors, yeah. you know, some of the distributors kind of um, were not as happy that you're not, you know, <laughs> you know, putting some of the conglomerate, you know, brands on the menu. Uh, but we kept a little, a smaller menu that was called um, A&O Favorites on the side. And that one was... Um, we are best selling kind of, uh, you know, conglomerate brand kind of cocktails yeah. on that side. And then the rest was all California distilled. And that's when I first met, uh, Josh and Elena from, uh, Serp city still works. Uh, I was their first on-premise account. I was the first menu that they uh, went on. I just loved what they're doing and believed in them and was really hooked on. And it was at that point that I became really, really excited about California distilleries, started visiting them up and down the coast uh, seeing what they're doing. And I'm, um, I'm a huge advocate for California distilled spirits, even outside of, uh, surf city still works. I, I think, uh, they need to be highlighted and, uh, someone needs to be shining a light on, on, um, you know, what's, what's going on in the California distilled world. Well, there's so much going on. I mean, obviously we are wine country first and foremost, we make some of the best, best just around period. And the craft beer industry has boomed to such a degree. And I almost kind of feel like beer people, it's, it's not an easier thing to understand because that would be disparaging to the beer industry, but there's more of a easeability to get into it. Yeah. You know, you're not talking about 40 proof things. You're talking about, you know, 6%, 7% IPAs. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit more of kind of an entryway. You don't get kind of as, you know, if you're going to drink a bunch watching Sunday football, it's easier to put away six beers than it is, you know, 
six you know old fashions or something like that sure. there's a little bit of a stigma so sure. it's easier to learn but california does make unbelievably good spirits and now we're making things that harken back to kind of olden days whether you're talking about the brandies that have emerged lately you talk about all these different things when you got to surf city you know and i love what they're doing i went up to the very first tasting room in huntington you know a while ago and we're going to talk about the expansion in just a few mm -hmm. what was it like for you when they brought you on to kind of have arrived a little bit at one of those small you know to go from that big big resort you know unlimited resources essentially to that you know husband wife team really kind of venturing out to make something on the you know of their own and of California. Yeah, you know you know being a, you know a fan of all these California distilleries, especially especially you know Josh and Elena at uh, at Surf City. You you see what people are doing. You see what they're doing right. You see a lot of times what they're doing wrong um, as well. Um, in Josh and Elena's case, they weren't doing anything wrong. They just. Uh, you know, manpower was was pretty much the primary issue. You know, it was a small outfit, and uh, they were working their you know tails off. Um, you know, especially distilling and moving product. I mean, they were their salespeople, they were their distillers, they were they were doing everything themselves. There's only so much cover, you know ground you can cover with that. Um, but I just saw how some places had amazing products, but had a kind of an shucks kind of ma and pa approach to the market. And, um, you know, that's, that's great in a way where people, you'll endear yourself to people. People want to put you on their, maybe not put you on your menu because there's financial implications of putting someone on a menu, let's face it. Uh, but you'll get on, maybe you'll get a bottle on their back bar or, you know, they'll, in passing, they'll mention, oh, we have a local spirit or something like that. But, um, you know, outside of that, no one was, I didn't feel like anyone outside of like St. George and Cutwater was really thinking, you know, big you know, with it and, and how we can, you know, kind of move, um, function like a big brand, think like a big brand, but still kind of keep that, you know, a uh, small distillery ethos yeah. and whatnot. And, um, well, I mean, in fairness too, if we're talking, you know, what are we talking 2018? Yeah. This one, give or take. Yeah. St. George and Cutwater fiscally pretty freaking big brands. Yeah. No I doubt mean, about it, it. Especially, you know, Cutwater would obviously kind of fall into their massive, you know, windfall well-deserved later, you know, I think around that time too was when it kind of happened well, for them. But the Bud White there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're still, I mean, are they those kind of massive Johnny walker ass? No, but they're still big brands. They are. I mean, you guys were still very much, you know, it was very much kind of a run before you can crawl situation almost. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, and, uh, you know, so you learn a lot about that. And, you know, my relationship with Josh and Elena had, uh, had grown since 2018 when I met them. And, we, um, when they opened up their first tasting room, I, um, I created their, their cocktail menu for it. I provided, you know, I brought on some bartenders that were, you know, good friends of mine. Um, you know, they, they joined. So I, I was helping them a lot. I had refused any type of payment because I just loved what they're doing. And I was like, I, I saw it as an opportunity to grow the relationship. And I said, you know what? No, just, you know, throw me a bottle you know, whatever. But, um, I love what you guys are doing. I believe in it and I just want to be helpful and, and help you guys out. And, and, um, they were so gracious and they've always been so gracious. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was really nice when, when I came on and they had hinted to me, I don't know, maybe six months, maybe nine months before that they were just about ready for a director of sales and a sales rep. And they were moving in that direction. And I, you know, for me, I just thought they were mentioning that in passing. And I was like, great. You know, at the time I was with, um, with Remy, as I'd mentioned and, and, uh, Remy, I cannot say enough great things about them, about the way they do things, their attention to detail, um, the quality of people they have in the organization as well. Uh, the main difference is that, you know, with them, I was, you know, I was a very, a very, very, very small cog, you know, with them. So if I had an idea that I thought would be great to bring to market, there is, probably five people between me and New York yeah. <laughs> between the, really the decision maker who's going to pull the trigger on that other than the market manager who's wonderful as well. Um, so, you know, with this, I saw that opportunity with surf city to there's no one in between me and, and pulling the trigger on a new strategy or developing new products or um, new activation plans and things like that. And, you know, once again, I, I found those people that kind of gave me the reins on that that believed in me. And, um, you know, it, I was a very known quantity to them and they have just empowered me to, um, 
you know, to make my own decisions and to kind of build out uh, for them. And it's, it's just been a, it's just been a great fit because everyone in that company, everyone with Surf City stays in their lane. Um, we have a great marketing team who has great know-how there. They'll ask me and, and consult on me with things when it comes to spirits or strategy with how we should, you know, kind of, um, you know, deploy certain, you know, certain campaigns and things like that. Um, you know, our distillers are, you know, are fantastic. Um, you know, but if I see something like in a bottle and I'm like, oh, that's, you know, maybe we need, you know, more filtration or something like that, they'll, they'll get right on it and listen. So there's, there's no separation between me and the decision makers or me and the people making it happen. So to me, that's a big difference. I need to, I'm, I'm an imprint kind of guy. I need to have my imprint on whatever I'm doing. Um, it keeps me invested. It keeps me inspired and keeps me energetic. And uh, that's where I find myself right now with Surf City. What did the last, I mean, let's talk about the elephant in the room. What did the last six months look like? Because I chatted with you briefly for a freelance article I did for Artisan Spirits Magazine yeah. out of LA, talking about basically what is it like to be a sales rep during all of this? So what was, I guess we'll say, we'll just round it down. We'll say kind of those three months of pure shutdown and then kind of the three months since been like from your standpoint, kind of from a working, like what is your nine to five or kind of lack thereof look like these days? <laughs> It's this whole thing began, um, you know, in true 2020 fashion, I had, um, I had parted with Remy and Young's, I believe it was on March 13th or 14th, something like that. <laughs> so literally like two days later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I had, you know, put in a call and it was kind of one of those situations where, um, yeah, I'm going to a supplier. And so, um, you know, I, I, you know, Young's was technically my employer and I was brand development for uh, Remy Cointreau. Get really quick. I do want to touch on this because you yes. have a better handle on it than most people. For people who are listening that are not as well-versed in kind of the back end mm -hmm. of the industry, you're mentioning Remy, Young's. Can you explain kind of how that relationship works? And it can be any company. It doesn't have to be Remy. Can you break down that relationship? Yes. Because there's a lot of people I know that are listening. They're like, oh, I thought he worked for Remy. Who the hell's Young's? But yeah. they're not going to kind of understand that. Sure. So, um, you know, and it, in, there's different tiers in, in the beverage industry. Uh, suppliers are essentially, you know, uh, a cog in the wheel where suppliers are the, you know, the, um, the surf city still works and the Remy Quancho of the world. They produce the spirits. They have their own marketing teams and all that. Um, if you work for a spirit company, you can go out to bars, you can talk to the bar managers, you can't quote prices, um, you know, things like that, that belongs to the, to the distributor but you can still, you know, help build relationships in, in that, you know, you're working with the distribution team. Uh, I'm currently, uh, Surf City is distributed by Southern Glazers. So right now I work with Southern Glazers. Um, that's the sales team, the artisanal team that I work with. Um, you know, I, I touch base with them, you know, every week we go on calls together. I tell them what we're looking to deplete, where our strategies are, you know, if we have updated pricing, if we have anything, you know, new we're working on, uh, just to, you know, kind of keep, keep everyone in the loop and whatnot. Um, in that case with Remy, I, um, was a brand development manager for Remy, Remy Quantro, who produces our uh, Remy Martin Cognac, uh, Quantro, the, um, you know, legendary orange liqueur, they have Westland whiskey, Mount Gay rum, botanist gin, just some really incredible iconic, uh, brands. Um, in their case, I was hired by Young's Market, who is the distributor for Remy Cointreau. Remy is such a huge international brand that their deal with Young's is that they essentially will, um, it's part of their contract that they embed someone essentially with Young's Market. So I worked for Young's, but I only represented the Remy Cointreau portfolio. So it's like one of the police shows where you were the FBI guy who showed up. You're like, no, I'm just overseeing. Yeah. Yes, my jurisdiction. <laughs> exactly. So um, I was on a team where people were selling full book on the team to hotels and to regional accounts. But I was I was solely focused on Remy Quancho. So sometimes the meetings would be like a little bit like we're having a meeting this supplier and we're tasting this brandy or, or this wine and whatnot. And you're in the meeting and you're sitting through these three hour meetings. But None of it necessarily applies to you, but you know, if you're a student of the game anyways, you, you can just absorb yeah. all the information. It'll help I just wanted road. to clear that up a little bit because I know occasionally, because again, it's not an entirely spirits focused podcast. So occasionally you get questions that come in. They're like, what did you mean by that? So hopefully that clears it up. Yeah. Sorry. 
Back no, to, no. Back to Surf City and yeah. COVID-19. No, all good. So yeah, I, I had put in my notice, uh, you know, March 13th or 14th. And the nature of it is because I worked um, for Young's, you know, first and foremost, um, and I was going to Surf City. Surf City is distributed by Southern. You know, there's kind of a, obviously a perceived conflict there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go from one distributor to another, you're walked immediately. Um, in this case, um, you know, I couldn't really put in two weeks. I mean, they probably, they would have given me time. They were so gracious and great to work for. And I thank them so much for the opportunity uh, working there. I, I learned an incredible amount from Young's and from Remy. Um, but, uh, you know, in this case, um, you know, when I made the call, uh, it was, it was a, yeah, cause you're, you're pretty much done because you know, you can't keep, plus everything was happening. Yeah. You can't go out anyways, really. Um, so that was the 14th, I believe. And then, um, on, I started with surf city on the 23rd and obviously because of everything that's happening in the world, everyone at the distillery is kind of freaked out a little bit. Like, is this a great time to have a sales director? you know, starting right now, are we going to be able to sell? What does the world look like right now? What, what, you know, what's next? Um, they, Josh and Elena are, um, are just, are tremendous people of tremendous character. They stuck to their word. They brought me on and, uh, we kind of felt it out from there. We quickly uh, pivoted to uh, hand sanitizer, which, um, you know, luckily the FDA kind of made that exemption for us to be able to uh, do made a huge difference and uh you know in bringing sales in we we're able to work with a ton of first responders government agencies local businesses there was as everyone knows uh, all the listeners know there was a critical shortage at the time now it's like you're seeing it you know on clearance shelves you know at, at albertson's and vaughn's and whatnot but um there was a real shortage we were producing up to six thousand gallons a week and um had some you know like homeland security some bigger you know accounts like that um that we were uh, you know, supplying. And, uh, it, at that point we kind of got, you know, so deep into it that it was like, how do we pull ourselves away from this? Cause we need to continue being a distillery that distills yeah. spirits. And, um, so the first couple months and one thing I loved about this company right off the bat was that, uh, when we needed to bring people in, uh, we needed some more manpower for the, for the sanitizer and for, you know, working this and that I was able to bring in bartenders out of bartenders that have been furloughed that were out of work. Yeah. Um, it's a great way of showing appreciation, you know, to the industry. We were able to bring them in and, um, and that was, you know, a great situation. And we, you know, uh, we were making the best of it, you know, the whole time. And, um, I, you know, throughout that whole shutdown, I, I went to work five days a week. Um, I was lucky enough to have a job throughout that time, which, um, you know, ironically, I, you know, I wouldn't have had if I would have stayed with my previous position because I would have been furloughed, you know, shortly thereafter. Um, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of that. I was just thinking about keeping the ball moving, you know, in my career and going, you know, to the next growth opportunity. And um, so we kind of started out with that. And then by, I believe, Memorial Day, when that kind of first like reopening happened, the kind of, you know, failed kind of reopening, um, that kind of set us into a new you know, a new phase of the operation where I was finally able to kind of sparingly uh, go out to certain places, have meetings, um, mostly liquor stores and off-premise and whatnot, because liquor stores, I mean, they're having the year of their lives. Oh, yeah. Uh, right now, off-premise. What is a just, time to sell booze. Yeah, no kidding. They're, they're just killing it. And so um, a lot of it, a lot of the build-out was there. Um, you know, Surf City is a really interesting study in... Um, in how to build a brand in that they kind of did things the opposite way that most brands do. Most brands focus on on-premise bars, restaurants, you get on a back bar, you get on a, on a menu, people take notice of you and then they want to start going out and, and they buy you buy a liquor store. Home and, yeah. yeah uh, you know, uh, surf city didn't have the manpower at the time to have a, a real sales force out there. So they had their first account, um, off-premise was Costco. They sold them to Costco like pretty much right off the bat because Costco loved that they were local. They put them in through testing them in three stores right off the bat. And um, then they eventually picked up some Albertsons and some big box like that. So they had like big box retail success right off the bat and and liquor stores, um, but very few bars and restaurants because that just takes a lot of, you know, a lot of meetings, a, a lot of, you know, boots on the ground and whatnot. Yeah. And um, so you know, that, that was kind of, you know, the strategy there. They, 
did it in reverse. So when I came on, it was more of like, you know, we need you to build out on-prem. We need to get back on menus. We need to be on back bars. But at the same time, uh, striking while the iron's hot in off-premise and building out more liquor stores. And, um, you know, since I've been on, well, since June, we've added 100 new uh, retail locations, bars, restaurants, liquor stores, big box. Um, we're up to, we've got 31 total wines and more right now. We've got um, just under 10 BevMo's, uh, uh, you know, about 14 pavilions, 13 Albertsons, and so on and so forth. Um, so it's, you know, we've, we've hit the ground running and the response has been tremendous. What's it like to be on premise in a time where most places don't have a premise for you to be on because it's all <laughs> built out into the parking lot. Like again, we ju at the time we're recording this, we're recording this what September sixteenth, middle of Negroni week for anybody keeping score. Um, most places are still closed. Bars themselves are properly mm -hmm. closed unless they're serving food, things like that. Right. What's the on premise been like to try and get in and to try to get on a menu and to try to you know sell product when people are trying to figure out where money might even just be coming from in the first place? It's been you know kind of the twilight zone in a way, just because. You know, uh, you know, previously going out, you know, being a part of Remy, you know, the bar managers everywhere, you know, the bartenders everywhere, you know, the familiar faces, you know, who to text before you go into this spot to see if they're there and whatnot. And uh, at this point with everyone furloughed, you don't know who's on where, uh, you know, most of the bigger names in the bar industry are furloughed and they're gone. Um, a lot of times GMs are now doing the buying they don't have a lot of need. They're, they're burning off inventory they have because they don't know if there's a tomorrow. Uh, so it was a very strange time. You're seeing a lot of new faces. You're seeing a lot of first time bartenders or people that are not bartender servers going behind, back behind the bar, making their own cocktails. So you're really just trying to, you know, put together, string together what you can. So, you know, spending a lot of time on-prem didn't make a lot of sense. That's why I've seen a lot of people in the business um, kind of have a lot of off-prem accounts added to their run because this is where you can help your distributor yeah essentially and so i, I still kind of kept my head in a little bit at on-prem as much as possible where i knew people especially but really you're ending up putting a lot of work into you know not a new menu and something that may be around for a couple months so you try to you know use your time as wisely as possible and and uh you know make your time as profitable as possible. One of the things that you talked about when we were talking about Balboa is your kind of only regret was that you wish it was more craft. And one of the things that goes with that is kind of all the theater, the time to really put together a big cocktail like that. The distillers answer to that problem, much the way that some bars are moving into kind of batching their cocktails, throwing them into the kegs, things like that has been the canned cocktail. You guys have launched canned cocktail. You're at four flavors right now. We're at four flavors right now. Yeah, we um, we have two vodka, one gin, and one bourbon. Um, so one uh, one of the vodka ones is called Moku Maid. It's a, a traditional maid. It's a cucumber, mint, lime, uh, vodka. The other vodka cocktail, and that was on the original uh, menu, the first uh, tasting room menu. The other one is uh, Pistolero, which is uh, vodka, lime, poblano chili peppers. It was a riff on one of my cocktails from the opening menu. The gin one that I know you're a fan of is a similar to an aviation. It's called Tiffany Twisted. And um, it's got a little bit of time in it um, as well. And then the last one is a bourbon cocktail, and that's um, Golden West. It's essentially a gold rush. It's bourbon honey. Um, the riff on it is green apple and mm -hmm. the green apple comes across really nicely. And, um, so yeah, we have, yeah, those canned cocktails. We are likely going to be next year, quarter one, quarter two, well, probably more like quarter two releasing uh, new flavors. Um, I think we may kind of go in a simplification kind of route. Um, you're seeing a lot of uh, success with like highballs and, and uh, things of that nature or like, you know, a rum and cola or, yeah. you know, kind of stripped down, you know, things like that for, you know, mass appeal and, you know, for larger audiences. Um, that That's what we've got going on. And then Q1 of next year, we have uh, our line of hard seltzers coming out and we're going to be releasing eight of those. Really, really excited about those. Obviously that, um, you know, part of the industry is 
had such an explosion. I mean, yeah, that's it was like, like the market to be in right now. Like 45, 50% growth. It's uh, insane. And a lot of the big box stores like Albertsons and places like that are really eager to add to their selection uh, because that's what they're depleting. So, um, you know, we, uh, we have a brewery um, as well in the new distillery. And uh, so we're able to, uh, you know, create seltzer. And that's another one, especially with our connection to the sports world and to surfing and to beach culture and whatnot, uh, having a seltzer in our portfolios. Um, really exciting. And then bitters as well. I'm working on the um, re-release of, of my bitters, which will now be Surf City. Probably going to be doing six to eight of those. And then some liqueurs and uh, cordials, uh, working on those with our, our new um, head distiller, Bill Oxier, who came from um, a Green Bar previously. Great group to be with. Yeah. I have a couple of their bitters, love them, yeah. and a couple of their bottles. Um, I want to talk about the distillery in a second because you guys are, unlike most people kind of think 2020, you guys are expanding, which is going to be awesome. But I want to talk about the seltzers and the pre-made cocktails for a second. What's it like bringing, I mean, because it's one thing to bring a spirit to market, right? That kind of burst the bottle. What's it like bringing a seltzer or a pre-made cocktail to market? So ask me again in a, in a few months with seltzer because <laughs> we haven't deployed those yet, but uh, with the RTDs, with the canned cocktails, that is, um, you know, it's really interesting because the people you're used to selling to that you have a real language with, maybe, you know, you've been dealing with a little more in craft and things like that. They're not, you know, the hugest fans of it, but it's not for them, you know, anyways. So that's another thing where it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I gravitate towards craft. We're adding some, you know, craft items to our portfolio at Surf, at Surf City. But um, really, we're, we got something for everybody. And, you know, I love that because that was the other thing about Boa. I could have easily gone in there, just made it, just done it in my image, you know, produced the program in my image and uh, just to my taste and what I think is cool. Guess what? That's you're not gonna be doing doing big numbers there. Um, I can recognize that myself. I like weird stuff. Um, it's not for everybody. Um, you know, in that kind of business, you need to be, you know, catering to your audience. And I think that's lost a lot these days, especially with younger bartenders are doing things, you know, for ego or just getting, you know, the the you know, um, you know, four morrows in this cocktail. And and, I, and I'm a huge. I mean, I showed you earlier. I've got you know. Uh, two or three rows of Amaro's in my, you know, in my home bar and whatnot. I'm a huge fan, but um, there's something for everybody. You want to shove things down people's throats. Yeah. So kind of having that selection of like, you know, of the, of the Grey Gooses of the world on the back bar and, you know, Don Julio's and these bigger brands, but then having some local brands and, and peppering in, you know, a, a well-curated agave selection and, and things like that. So, you know, when you have visitors from out of town, international travelers, you have a little something for everybody. And um, that's the way I kind of see, you know, with Surf City, we're doing a little bit of that. You can't please everybody. But the cans have been nice because they go well at the pool. Um, people, they've been going in the grab and goes at hotels um, as well. Not a big place for them in on-prem, but uh, off-prem, it kills. Um, obviously, brands like High Noon or yeah. are, you can't keep up with demand, you know, for them. So... Um, you know, the canned cocktails have been huge. They, that's another kind of category that has gone through the roof, you know, through the pandemic and whatnot, because people, it's a grab and go kind of thing. Not everyone wants to make a cocktail at home. Not everyone wants to get the ingredients and it's an easy kind of crack and, and drink. And, um, and that was, that's, uh, you know, been really fun to have that kind of in your arsenal to kind of have a, a weapon for that. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, developing more stuff like that. And these are gateway items too, because they really bring them into the bigger portfolio. So next they're, next time they're coming by to pick up RTD cans, they're buying a bottle of our, our barrel strength bourbon or, you know, our, um, you know, our amazing rum or, you know, things of that nature. I want to talk about the expansion of the distillery. Cause again, there's so many things that are bad that are happening with 2020, whether they're kind of restaurant closures or, I don't know. You could probably open your phone and find nine new things right now, but you guys are booming. You guys like, I mean, in the sense that you're able to expand, you're able to grow during all this. And we should mention, by the way, for anybody who's not familiar with the brand, when we talk about Surf City being a California distillery, we're not kidding as you guys are literally right in Huntington Beach. We are. I mean, and you're one of the few in Orange County. Period. Yeah, I think we're one of, one of uh, three, three yeah, yeah. Blink, blinking out, drift and, and us, I yeah, believe. Are yeah. the only ones that I'm aware of. So yeah. I mean, what's the expansion going to be like? Where are you guys going? Is it going to be the same 
kind of situation and kind of how exciting is that for you? When you mentioned you came on, you know, what we shut down the day before St. Patty's Day. So you had left your previous job two days beforehand. Yeah. You want to grow with this brand. You yeah. want to grow with it. And then we hit a pandemic. How much fun is this for you to know that you seemingly made the right choice and things are going well? What a validation that is. Um, you know, uh, Josh and Elena are both, uh, you know, people of faith and, it's amazing. I mean, they've been scared through the process and they've had, you know, they've had their moments of, um, you know, kind of thinking like, oh, do we make the right decision? You know, at certain, at certain moments of, you know, throughout the past six months, but, um, they are people of great faith. I, um, you know, I share that kind of, uh, you know, belief as well. So it's really nice to be with people that believe in me. I believe in them, uh, to no avail. Um, their, their character has been revealed to me over time and I'm such a fan of, of their integrity, the way they operate and, um, and just their energy. They're just, you know, both high energy people with um, a lot of enthusiasm and just really loving people. Um, that, that speaks to me. That's a really comfortable environment for me. That's it. Um, you know, uh, an environment that kind of fosters my skill set as well. And, um, and they've they've really extended that support to me. I extend that support to them. So it's really kind of that mutual admiration in society. I know it sounds, you know, kind of um, you know a little, you know, nausea inducing to some, <laughs> but uh, it's it's you know when you know you're in the right place when, you know, you just feel like you're hitting all the green lights, and that's where I feel like I'm at right now. Where um, everything we're doing right now is 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 sticking, and uh, we've got a lot of momentum going and. And the distillery is, um, is the, it's a dream come true, really. That's great. There's been so many kind of talks um, about balancing in the industry, you know, work-life balance, things like that, especially from the bar standpoint, just because the hours demand so much. Now that you're on the other side of it and working with Surf City, obviously, you know, two little kids, wife, you know, what's this kind of been like for you to be able to obviously still do a lot of the work up at the distillery, but being kind of home with the kids during some of the schooling things, what's this been like for you from kind of that family balance? You know, it's, um, you know, I, I kind of uh, learned to strike a balance when I was with Remy, I kind of figured out what that, what that balance is. Um, you know, when you're going on a meetings, meetings don't usually start till it, it depends. Sometimes you'll have early morning meetings when the buyer, that's the only time they can meet. So you'll be in LA at eight o'clock at 8am for a meeting. Um, other times if I'm in Orange County or in San Diego, a lot of times meetings will be at 1030, 11, you know, times like that, because places aren't opening up, you know, till then lunch spots that turn into dinner spots at bars mm -hmm. and whatnot. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, you're constantly, you know, managing your time and, you know, being in a leadership position for so long for me has learned, you know, has given me the ability to budget my time well. And like I said before, being present in my, in my children's life is very important to me. So it's just, it's finding those sweet spots, like being at the ballet, your daughter's first ballet recital. And, um, you know, maybe being able to pick them up from school a day or two a week or, you know, or something like that is, is really a nice thing. It takes discipline though. It's not for everybody. Um, you got to hit your marks. You, there are certain metrics you want to hit every week, like 20 meetings a week. Um, you know that if you hit your 20 meetings a week, no matter what, and you're doing your job the right way, you're going to hit the sales you need to hit. You're going to hit your placements the way you need to hit. Um, so it's just having the discipline to be able to kind of balance all those things. And sometimes you have to go out at nights. Sometimes it's early morning. Sometimes it's a late night followed by an early morning. Um, but yeah, it just it, it's for self-starters, no doubt about it, because no one's telling you where to go and what time to be somewhere. You've you've got to do that yourself and you've got to make it work. And I, my territory is all of California essentially, because that's where we distribute. Um, so, you know, um, I'm going to be going up to the central coast in Northern California at the beginning of next month. But, you know, uh, through the week I'll be in San Diego. Um, maybe later that day I have to be in West LA, you know, you never know, but, um, we've been building out so strongly in LA and San Diego that I'm, I'm constantly bouncing between both. And, uh, just being disciplined and having good time management skills is is really, really crucial. Um, you know, a lot of young bartenders always want to jump into being with the brand, being an ambassador and stuff like that. You know, you you really need time. Some people are ready early. You see some outliers, you know, um, in this industry for, you know, kind of people early on being able to have that success. That's very, very rare. And there's usually a really solid reason behind that. 
Um, it usually takes someone seasoned who's had some management experience um, that can, you know, kind of have that discipline that can, you know, is um, very prudent about, you know, what they're consuming alcohol wise. And um, yeah, and just having a good presence, a gracious presence with your buyers and with your network. I mean, discipline wise, that's got to be the big one, right? Because it is. again, like so many brand reps and so many sales reps move from one side of the bar to that other side, because they're the, they're the number one people who know the product, they understand the product, they understand how that product's gonna move, how it's gonna work on a menu. But if you're hitting 20 different on-prem meetings and you're taking you know a tasting at 20 different on-prem meetings, it's still 20 different tastings. I it mean, is. You know, nobody's immortal, so it's gonna add up to you. So I would say, I mean, balancing that intake has gotta be massive too. You know, I thought that, um, obviously I don't you know participate in all of them these days. Yeah. You know, it depends on the buyer, if you wanna kind of have that bond you know, with the buyer and you want to kind of, uh, you know, you know, talk shop and whatnot, you'll, you'll do a taste. Um, at Balboa, funny enough, and I was able to, you know, uh, had a great tolerance, but I was doing a lot of tastings, but I was actually consuming that. Um, never had a problem, you know, obviously I had to be responsible for, um, you know, food and beverage out of A&O, mm -hmm. beverage for the whole resort, things like that. So, um, you know, they have very strong policies, you know, about, you know, about doing it responsibly and being smart about it. And that really gave me the discipline these days, especially as I get older, um, I'm definitely spitting, you know, samples. And, um, it was really through like doing CSS and doing WSET, getting certified, um, for those that, um, I learned that spitting is just as effective as actually consuming Completely. the spirit, yeah. um, get a good nose on it, swish it around, you know, twice, you know, get two sips, swish it around, spit, there's the residual alcohol, everything, the congeners, everything is there on your palate. It's sitting there. You'll get, you'll get your read yeah. right there. Um, so that's, that's been a big thing, kind of adopting this, this bit method for sure. Otherwise, yeah, it'll, um, it'll age you quick. Um, it'll catch you. It, yeah, that's it, true. It, it'll, it'll catch you quick. And you know, you want to be at your best, uh, speaking to these people and, and being as gracious as possible, being as knowledgeable as possible, being as responsive and, um, you know, so it's, um, it, it's, it's a balancing act and you, you just can't, you can't relax at all. So well, I'm glad that things sound like they're on the up and up and definitely sound like they're busy for you. So I know there's a lot of people who are obviously wishing they were kind of busier during all this, but I'm glad that things with Surf City and everything are going well. So. Absolutely. Ben, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Obviously you got two little kids to worry about. You got a cat <laughs> that's giving a side eye right now. Um, if people want to find you on social media and Surf City, and kind of follow you, ask questions, anything like that, follow up, where can they do that? So we are at uh, surfcitystillworks.com. We are on uh, Instagram as um, at surfcitystillworks. You can find me on Instagram at, um, at builtbycarpenter. And uh, yeah, kind of keep an eye out. We got a lot in the works. Uh, like I said, bitter's coming soon. Seltzer's coming soon. We are looking to open the new tasting room at the distillery. We're looking at a soft opening of February. Uh, we're looking at a grand opening of hopefully uh, April um, as well. And it's it's going to be phenomenal. We, you know, uh, we're a, a bona fide eating establishment. There's going to be no like 1.5 ounce, you know, limit uh, for spirits. The dumbest rule ever. Yeah. That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> I agreed. for me, but uh, that's my opinion. <laughs> it's very limiting. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's, it's really, um, it's an exciting time and, uh, stay tuned and, and thank you so much for having me today. That's awesome, man. It's my pleasure. All right, Ben, I appreciate the time, brother. Thank you. Woo! Thank you to Ben Carpenter for opening his home again, letting me sit in, sharing a sip of whiskey while we chatted. Um, it was a really, really awesome chat. Again, I don't really have a time format for these things. They're generally between, you know, half hour to an hour. Um, it really just kind of depends on the content. I go in with kind of an idea of a script, but it's really kind of up to the guest and, and kind of what they say. Some of their answers prompt new questions, things like that. And basically it's supposed to be a conversation, um, albeit an educational and informative one, but a conversation. And that's exactly what it was with Ben. These last two interviews with Ben and uh, episode 30 with uh, Luis Topolzo from Mayfield, they were fun. Kind of that, that in-person action really takes on a different tone so it's really nice to kind of get back to some of those again they won't all be in person in the future it kind of depends on everyone's comfort level i'm trying to be respectful of social distancing guidelines people's safety again especially in the hospitality industry 
you're talking about people that are exposed to strangers on a day-to-day basis. Um, so trying to be respectful of their wishes when it comes to their health is obviously paramount. But thank you to Ben for taking the time for in-person. Don't know what the future of the episodes will hold. Some will be, you know, Skype and Zoomcast. Some will be in person. We don't know. But I appreciate you listening all the same. All right. Again, bestseats.com for more. You can find me on social media at the best seats, etc. You know what to do. Enjoy the rest of your day, wherever and however you are listening to this. I thank you and I will see you soon. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Katie Kazzy, Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.